Please keep your Bibles open at that spot because that's our passage for today. It's good to be with you this morning. Now we're going to be looking at the last week, the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. And we would normally call that Palm Sunday because that's the beginning of the week before Easter. So we're a bit, bit early, but that's all right. This passage is a well-known passage, but is it well understood? I expect that this morning uh, will be challenging morning for each of us. So may I pray that God may help each of us as we listen. May I pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us your word. And as we've moved through the story of Jesus going towards Jerusalem, we pray that this morning, as we look at this passage, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak your word into our hearts and minds and our wills and give us the grace and the humility to respond to you with the love and obedience. Please help me to make your word clear for the glory of your name. Amen. All of us have got significant parts of our life, have we not? Isn't there a part of your life that's been significant? Where you have been the centre of attention? Well, maybe you would have hoped you had been. Today, Jesus is the centre of attention. This is the day where we're going to celebrate more about Jesus than anything else in the whole story. So, as we look at it, we realise that the Passover was only a week away. It's one of those times when God's people were called to celebrate God's victory. First of all, about 1,400 years before when he'd led them into the Promised Land. And we just picked up on that this morning as they were preparing to enter the Promised Land in the book of Numbers. But then secondly, as Christians, we celebrate Christ's victory at the cross and his death and his resurrection from death. And we call that a triumph of, of the cross. And it's a wonderful time for us to, to celebrate. Here in Luke chapter 19, verse 28 onwards, Dr. Luke tells us of the events of that day as Jesus approached Jerusalem. He approached Jerusalem knowing that he'd be treated shockingly and that he would die a terrible death. And to understand that, we've got to go back a few chapters. So go from chapter 19 back to chapter 9. Keep your finger in chapter 19. And will you go back to chapter 9 for me? Uh, and uh, we will look at, on page 1608. I think that's where it is, in the Black Bibles. Chapter 9. Because this is where we pick up a big change in the life of Jesus as before he goes to Jerusalem. In chapter 9 of the Luke's Gospel, we have a great turning point. As we go through the chapter, we look about uh, Jesus sending out the 12 disciples and they coming back and he empowered them to do amazing things and they did. Then he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. And then there's his question. If we look at verse 18 onwards of chapter 9, his question to Peter, who do you say that I am? That's in verse 20. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. The Christ, the word Christ means Messiah or the anointed one of God. You are the anointed one of God, the one that was promised from all time. You were the anointed one. And Jesus warned them. And then he told them, if you read down a couple more verses, in verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then as we go down to verse 51 of that chapter, 
we see at the t- as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was to happen. He was now approaching that point. And he had gone from Jericho. Remember he'd done miracles in Jericho. He had opened the eyes of a blind beggar. And Zacchaeus, who was a, a tax collector, um, a weevil of a guy, he had changed his whole life. And as he comes through, he's only now about five k's out of Jerusalem. I guess the question is, what would happen? He's very popular. Will he be crowned king? Is he really the king that people had hoped for? They'd hoped for 400 years for a king. They hadn't had one for 400 years. If we don't have one for four months, we've got a problem. Well, till we become our own, our own body, we are. Is that true? In chapter 19, verses 28 to 44, we're on that road to Jerusalem, the Passover and his death. And so we look at him in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 19, if you go back to there again. After, this, Jesus, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, we're going to stop there. As he was going from Jericho, he was passing through Bethphage. You know that translated, that means the house of unripe figs. I've got a fig tree. And it's got figs at the moment that are coming on again. And they're unripe. It was a little hamlet and then Bethany. And the word Bethany means the house of dates. So it was a fertile place. It was on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem and about five k's out on the outskirts of Jerusalem. As Jesus approached, he arrived at the Mount of Olives. Never guess what they grew there, would you? <laughs> and uh, Bananas? Well, you'd go bananas looking for them, I think. Um, but on the Mount of Olives, and uh, we'll go to that next slide, the Mount of Olives was a ridge a few kilometres long. It it wasn't a mountain like we know the Blue Mountains. It was just a ridge separated from Jerusalem by the Kidron Valley. As you came over that ridge and you looked across the Kidron Valley, you would have found Jesus looking out over Jerusalem, which was on the other side of the valley, and it was a fortified city. Now, because it was Passover time, there were thousands of people coming down the road. There were thousands of people. And there was a multitude of his disciples did you pick up that word, a multitude? It wasn't 10 or 12 or 20 or 70. It was a multitude of disciples. It was exciting. The people thought that Jesus would be made king and they'd waited 400 years for that king to arrive. You imagine. Do you rem- We've just watched The Crown lately um, on Netflix. And those of us who are a little bit older, do you remember when Queen Elizabeth was crowned? Who remembers? Come on. Well, some of those with grey hair and so on. And those who got it died. Well, it was an exciting time. Who remembers when she came to Australia? Who remembers the several times she's come to Australia? It's been a really exciting time. Royalty is always exciting. They were excited because they thought Jesus was going to come to Jerusalem as the king. But what would his kingdom be like? What would his kingdom be like? Would Jesus be the king the scriptures fulfilled? There was an air of expectation, an air of excitement. Jesus had done so much. He had so much power. He calmed the storm with a word. He raised the dead with a word. 
He was such an authoritative speaker. He understood God's word as no one else did. And he could make you understand it. He commanded the evil spirits and they obeyed him. He refuted and confused the church leaders. He mixed with the poor. He was gentle and loving and caring. And he was so wise. This was Jesus, fully man, yet different. He was awesome. So much so that, as we read this morning, they wanted to kill him. And they'd planned to kill him at Passover because they knew he'd be there. We read in verses 30 to 35 these words. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put it on Jesus. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Have you ever stopped to think about that? How did it happen? Did Jesus have prophetic powers? Or was it a pre-arranged plan? Was it pre-arranged or prophetic? If Jesus did pre-arrange it, it demonstrated his attention to detail and his particular attention to how he would enter Jerusalem. If he pre-arranged it, it was amazingly courageous for he knew what riding into Jerusalem on, a, on the cult of a donkey meant to the Jews. It would be a huge challenge to the Pharisees and church leaders. They were out to kill him. If it was prophecy, it demonstrated Jesus' foreknowledge that he was God and that it was this fulfilment of prophecy as it was. But was the, what was the prophecy? We've got to go back to Zechariah, to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, which was written about 520 BC. In Zechariah chapter 9, we read these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was within a passage where prior to that, it had been prophesied that they would be slaughtered. And it happened under Alexander the Great in 332 BC. And Alexander left the temple standing. And so the prophet was prophesying that there would come one who wouldn't come riding on a chariot. He would come riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then as we look down in that same chapter of uh, Zechariah in the second half of verse 10, it says, He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And then the last couple of verses of that chapter, in verse 16, it says, The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. Every Jew knew that passage. They knew their scriptures. They knew them. They understood them. 
Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was riding into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It had never been ridden. And he was fulfilling the prophecy of the coming king of glory. And in doing this, in entering Jerusalem as the prince of peace, riding on what was the royal animal of, that signified peace, he was God's appointed Messiah, the longed-for one. He didn't come riding on a warrior horse, victorious. He came in peace, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Everyone knew. Can you imagine the joy and the excitement that there was? What expectation? And from verses 36 to 40, we see him starting to approach Jerusalem. And there was so much joy. Look at it with me, if you will, in the Bibles. As they went along, people spread, from verse 36 of chapter 19 of Luke. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, in other words, as he goes down over the hill, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke you disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is such an exciting section of scripture. The crowds were coming into Jerusalem and Jesus' disciple had started down the road from the Mount of Olives with Jerusalem in sight. Only 5k to go. They'd been all the way from Galilee and taken all their time come. They'd been rejected in Samaria and then they'd come back out and they'd gone into the city of Jericho and God had blessed them through there and now they were just about there and it was only that last week where you'd prepare for Passover. They'd timed it properly. And then it all clicks. It says the whole crowd of disciples. The original says the multitude of his disciples. A great crowd, masses of them, many, many people. What expectation and joy they had. You know how it, how it stimulates one another? Doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? And you can imagine what it would have been like. He's the king. Look at him. He's showing us that he's the king. They praise God in loud voices. You know what the Greek says? The language uses the word, it's phone air, mecca, mechaphone. We had such loud voices, like a mechaphone out of everyone's voice. It was so loud. They didn't sing little bitsy singing like we sometimes do. They were powerful. Their great voices were full-throated, powerful singing. They meant it. It came from here, up out here. Not from there to there, but from there out. Anyone who sings knows that that's how you do it when you sing loudly. You go, you go from here out. They meant it. They sang with all their heart, mouth and voice. Blessed is he, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. How would you have reacted? If you'd been there, how would have you reacted? The Pharisees who couldn't accept that Jesus was this king called out teacher, for that is who they knew him to be, teacher. But he was far more than teacher. He was the king, to become king. Who do you see him to be? Jesus didn't cut them down. He just said, I tell you, 
If they kept quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus knew that he was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. I, I want you to imagine that picture. But now I want, to, I want to take you away from the crowd. So don't look at the crowd anymore. I want you to look at the person who was the centre of the crowd. So we're now going to focus on Jesus. We're going to leave the crowd behind with all of their singing and all of their, their carrying Jesus virtually down the hill on the donkey. I want you to leave that and I want you to look at Jesus. Because let's look at this passage. There's a great contrast here as we go a little bit further in verses 33 to 34. We'll go down further. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Now he just didn't cry. He wept. Going from the unreal expectations, we see Jesus, the unreal expectations of others, we see Jesus' real heart. For reality was and is that if you re reject Jesus as your king, then you are under God's judgment. And in this section verse, from verse 41 to 44, that's where we're going to leave it today after verse 44, we see this picture. There are only two places in the Bible where we read that Jesus wept, wept with deep sobs. The other time was when his friend Lazarus had died. We see that in John chapter 11, verse 35. His grief for Jerusalem was so strong. The people of Jerusalem, by and large, had rejected him as king, as God's anointed saviour. He loved these people. They had heard. And some had seen of his teaching and his life and his miracles. Yet they didn't put it together that Jesus was their coming king and their saviour. Look at verse 42. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. If you, if only you, this day had known what would bring you peace? How powerful. But it was hidden from your eyes. They longed for peace. They longed for their saviour to come. And he had. But they had not recognised him as saviour. Have you? Have you, you? You have heard about Jesus. You have celebrated Easter for all of your life. You have recognised that Easter is real, that Christmas is real. But have you received Jesus as your saviour? Have you recognised him as the one who would be the rightful king of your life? There is no greater question for you to answer in life than that this morning. Please don't be like those who let Jesus go by and did not acknowledge who he was or who he is. In verse 43 and 44, we read these day, words. The days, Jesus said, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. 
God is holy. He is awesome in power and love and mercy and justice. And God's judgment would come upon them and Jerusalem would be utterly destroyed, demolished. Not one stone would be left on top of another, Jesus said. And it happened in AD 70 when the Romans surrounded the city to starve it out for month after month after month. Can you imagine? The people couldn't get out. The Romans built massive wooden structures so they could get in. But you know what the Jews did? They burnt them. So they couldn't use wood anymore. So what did they use? Dirt. And Jesus said a rampart would be built. And so they made this huge big mound of dirt up, up the city wall. And that's how they got in. It took a long time. They entered the city, the starving city. They destroyed everyone and everything. Jerusalem was destroyed in a bloodbath. And not one stone in the temple was left upon another. They were cast down to the valley. Why? Because Jesus said, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. My friend, have you recognized that time? Have you recognized Jesus' right to be the king of your life, your saviour and your Lord? You know that he died for you. You know that he hung on that cross. But did you know that he took in his body the punishment that you and I deserve for every one of our sins? All of everything that we have done that has offended Almighty God. When he hung on that cross, that's what he did. And when he completed it, he said, in one Greek word, tetelestai, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. For everything that you and I have ever done that has offended Almighty God, he died for you and me on that cross. None of us are any different. Each year at Easter, we celebrate, celebrate Jesus' death on the cross and he's rising victoriously over death. Why? Because he did it all for you. For all who turn to him in repentance and deep sorrow for offending Almighty God. Jesus died and took the punishment for each and every, all your sin. There's not one he did not. If you are carrying guilt from somewhere in your past, and you haven't received the forgiveness that Jesus has offered you, don't leave this morning before you know the freedom of that forgiveness. You can be freed from the burden and the guilt and the fear of the consequences of your sin. You don't have to say anymore, if I'm good enough, he might accept me, because you know he never can on that. Because you'll never be good enough. None of us ever can be. My friend, he has done it all. He has paid the price to free you from the burden and the guilt and the fear of the consequences of your sin. If you have not done this before and turned to God, or maybe you have, but if God is speaking to you this morning, he's seeking you out. And I'm going to pray for you. And the conclusion of this service there will be people who will come down the front up at the end of the last song. 
And I'd love you to talk with them so that you can be sure that you have understood and made the right decision to follow Jesus for all of your life. It is life-changing, but so worth it. Where's Michael Batalik? Michael became a Christian a couple of years ago. And it wasn't a very dramatic thing. In one way, it wasn't dramatic and powerful, but it was very powerful in another way because he committed his life to follow Jesus Christ. Michael, has it made a difference in your life? The word was absolutely. And God has been changing him. Michael's in, in my connect group on a Tuesday afternoon. And we've talked about this. And you need to talk to your Christian friends because they will say, absolutely, it is so worth it. If God is tugging at your heartstrings this morning, don't turn away. Turn and run to him because he loves you. And he has the best plan for your life. It will mean change. But to know the freedom of his forgiving love is so releasing. Ask Michael, ask so many others. It is so transforming. He knows you. And he will treat you as his special child. Uniquely you. And he has good plans for your life. Respond to Jesus. Know him. And know the peace that he alone can give. If God has been speaking to you and he's tugging at the strings of your heart this morning and saying, it's time to get that right, whether it's your whole life or part of your life or you're coming back to Christ, do it this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray two prayers. And then we're going to have a song and we're going to have some prayers after that. And then I'll get up at the end of the service and I'll talk to you again. May I pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that right through this service this morning, from the time Andrew started, he talked of your faithfulness. And you are a faithful God. You are loving and merciful, for that is your character. You are full of grace and mercy. And you long for your people to come to you. You showed us your love in sending your son to die for us on the cross so that we might be totally forgiven and know you and know your acceptance and your forgiving love and the power of your spirit in our lives. Lord, please continue to bless us and change us as you will for the glory of your name. Amen. And if you're someone who this morning, God is saying it's time you committed your life to me, then you might like to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Please forgive me for all my wrong. For my failure in the past to honour you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I turn to you. Please come into my life and give me the strength to live for you and to follow you all the days of my life. Amen.